If you have a copy of the scriptures with you again uh, this evening, I invite you to turn to, first of all, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Verses 12 through 17, and then jumping over to Jeremiah chapter 7. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of our Lord. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Have, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. And then if you would to uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7 we'll be reading uh, most of the chapter uh, up through verse 29. The word of the Lord, excuse me, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim, 
As for you, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add to your burnt offering, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all, sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So is the reading of God's holy and inspired word. The prophet Isaiah reminds us, of course, once again, that although the grass of the field withers and the flowers of the field fade away, the Word of God stands forever. What a joy it has been to be with you on this day, to be refreshed in worship uh, with you. I was just remarking to a few folks um, after worship this morning how refreshing it is to be in a Reformed church. And so uh, my, my prayer uh, now as we uh, prepare to hear the Word of God proclaimed is that God will add uh, His Spirit richly to what we're about to share together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the enormous, overwhelming love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. Insofar as we are flesh, it is impossible for us to comprehend exactly the zeal and the compassion that you extend to us. And yet, in your faithfulness, you, you come again and again and you remind us and you teach us, and you, and you enlarge, you enlarge our hearts to receive by faith that which you have prepared for us in Christ Jesus. Do that good work among us now, we pray. We come as your children, we come asking for this good gift. If we, are, if we who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will you, O God, bless us with your spirit now as we come to you sincerely and in faith. This we ask, O oh God, through Christ our Savior. Amen.
tragedies. Tragedies. Literarily speaking, I'm a, I'm a simple man. I'm in the army. I don't know if I told you that this morning. I'm in the army. Sometimes we use colors when we uh, cut, we use crayons when we do our operations orders. I'm a simple guy. So for me, a tragedy is very simply a story that has a bad ending. And what I find uh, what I find fascinating about tragedies is that we love them. It's very paradoxical. Story with a bad ending that we enjoy. What? Does make it on the surface it doesn't make sense. Here's an example of that paradox uh, that I often think about. I love the movie Forrest Gump. I, I trust many of you have seen it, if not most of you. Forrest Gump. It's an absurd movie. I mean, really, the plot is 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 ridiculous. This fictional character is woven into historical events like the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement in Vietnam. Forrest was even awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his service there. And yet, any one of us who have seen the movie can, can think of a line from it right now, right? Stupid is as stupid does. Life is like a... Yep, there you go. I knew it. Came through. Thanks for not leaving me hanging there. That's great. Yes. They have all, all these enduring lines, right, from cinema, from this movie. Every, and yet every time I see Jenny throw rocks at her childhood home or, wa- or watch Forrest speak to her at her grave or, or watch him send Forrest Jr. off to school at the, at the bus stop, well, let's just say I'm not crying, you're crying, okay? <laughs> Why do we like this stuff? Jenny dies, Forrest is a single father. Forrest Jr. doesn't have a mom. And yet I would gladly watch the movie again next weekend. Watch it with my children. Tragedies are sad stories that make us happy. Why? I suppose there are books on this. Um, I suppose there are all kinds of different reasons. But it seems to me... As I look at myself, the main reason I like tragedies is that by interacting with tragedy, I get very clear about myself and my values without having to go through all the same disasters as the characters in our favorite, in our favorite stories. Through, through tragedies, by, by reading or watching a tragedy, we feel, we feel deeply And by feeling, we figure out who we are and what we believe. And so enter center stage, Jeremiah 7. In Jeremiah 7, we as Christians observe a tragedy in four acts. And that tragedy points us to our triumph as the church of Jesus Christ. The first act of this tragedy, I think, is found in verses 1 through 15. There, God tells Jeremiah to tell the people that where they worship cannot undo what they worship. And if they keep worshiping what they should not, God is going to eject them from the land. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. 
God says, if you amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell here. That list of transgressions uh, is bad enough, but like a bad infomercial, there's more, right? God says, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it. Declares the Lord. It might sound strange to hear the Lord smush theft and adultery and lying together with outright idolatry, but as we saw this morning, there's a reason why the first commandment is the first commandment. According to Scripture, all sin is the re- is the result of idolatry. Human beings do not behave their way into sin; they worship their way into sin. And if we worship our way into sin, we must worship our way out of it. If Israel had any doubts about the sanctity of where they worship, the Lord through Jeremiah reminds them of this place called Shiloh. God very willingly destroyed the house at his house at Shiloh because of the evil of his people in allowing, as you may remember, the wicked sons of Eli to escort the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And so God says, therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. God is much more concerned with holiness and with having a house. And when the two come into competition, he will always choose the former. He will always choose holiness. The second act of Jeremiah 7 occurs in verses 16 through 20 and pulls at the heartstrings of even the most stoic Christian. And I have to say, for me as a minister of the gospel, really gets a hold of me. As for you, do not pray for this people. Wow, that's hard. That's hard for me to read as as a minister. Or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it, is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not they themselves to their own shame? And so God says that his anger and wrath will be poured out upon everything. Man, beast, trees, the fruit of the ground, their crops. It will burn and not be quenched. From the capital to what are often called the fortified cities, Israel was training itself, listen to this, 
It was training itself in intergenerational idolatry. Think about that. Intergenerational idolatry. Husbands, wives, children, all working together, conspiring to put other things before God. And the Lord points out that although he was being moved to anger, it was really Israel that was setting itself up for anger. Because what happens when bad things happen to people who think they're good? They get mad at God, don't they? And if you want to read about that, you can go to the book of Revelation. That's exactly what the Apostle John talks about. Truly, they were provoking themselves. The third act of Jeremiah 7 is found in verses 21 through 26, and I think closely parallels the first act. Just as God prefers holiness to having a house, so also he prefers obedience to to sacrifice. And, And these are really two ways of saying the same thing. Holiness never occurs in a vacuum. It always occurs in the context of relationships. Try practicing patience or fidelity or truth-telling by yourself. It's super easy, right? Those things become actual holiness when we practice them in relation to others. Houses are where people live in community, which is what Old Testament sacrifices were all about drink offerings and burnt offerings were all about eating and drinking with God. The Lord's point, however, is that having a house without a relationship is not something he was interested in. Relationship with God requires loyalty and faithfulness. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. The Lord didn't need a meal. He he wanted to add members to his family. You know, oftentimes in um, American Christianity, we we like to say it's not a, people like to say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And uh, that's not quite right as far as I'm concerned. It's a religion based on a relationship. A relationship defined by trust and faithfulness. That's what God really wants, not empty religious actions. The fourth and final act of Jeremiah 7 parallels the second and is essentially a repeat with with an embedded song. Jeremiah will speak to the people according to God's will, but they will not listen. And then there's this poem, this poetry that ends this text. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. After speaking to the people, Jeremiah's job was to get ready for Israel's funeral. I don't know about you, but that's some heavy stuff. Jeremiah 7 has some heavy, heavy things. For me, the tragedy of this text moves me to both disgust and pity. To disgust because Israel had become a bunch of self-assured churchgoers whose lives were in fact moral septic tanks. And to pity, because the Lord and his prophets spoke directly to these people, but they would not heed his words. They would not be brought to heal in how they lived their lives. 
I don't know about you, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, that helps me get real clear about who I want to be and who I do not want to be. I do not want to be some big mouth Christian who's blathering all the time about how Christian they are when in fact my moral life is a raging dumpster fire. I don't want any part of that. I do not want to hear God's servants proclaim the gospel to me week in and week out only for me to spurn it or worse to assume it doesn't apply to me because of my own arrogance. I don't ever want any of that. Ugh. It's terrifying. I want to be an appropriate, humble Christian who doesn't need to run his mouth all the time because my life and my actions speak for themselves. Or as our Lord Jesus taught, wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now, am I willing to speak up about the gospel? Well, I hope so. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> yes, I do. I am willing. But I don't want my speech about the gospel to excuse me in my mind from also living the gospel. I want to be the sort of Christian who, when he hears God's appointed servants proclaim the scripture, my feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace so that, so that I am prepared to repent and believe anew in the mercy of God in Christ. If you want these same things, and if you had a similar reaction to this text, I have good news for you this morning. This is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, speaking of Old Testament Israel, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. The tragedy of Israel's unfaithfulness in the Old Testament is a triumph for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ, because through the record of their unfaithfulness, we are instructed on how to avoid evil and live in a way that pleases God. I want to highlight three ways, three ways in particular that this tragedy, this tragic text can produce triumph for us as Christians as we are about to enter another week of service in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, I'm convinced it teaches, it teaches us to assiduously avoid congratulating ourselves because we are churchgoers. Rather, focusing on the heart of religious worship, which is our relationship with God. You see, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, repeating that as the Israelites did, it's not really that different from regarding yourself as a Christian merely because you attend church services. Theologically, it is no secret that, that the temple in Jerusalem, which no longer exists, has been replaced by the church of Jesus Christ. We are the temple of the Lord. So it can be easy to believe that because you are in the temple, you must be a Christian. Well, remember what the Lord says through Jeremiah. Shiloh came and went. Remember what our Lord Jesus says in the gospel. Every stone in the temple 
would be turned over one on the other. That one's gone too. Remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds, where the owner of the field says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. God has no problem bulldozing his place of worship, whether a building or an illin or, or a people, because he's not interested in a monument. He wants a home, not a house. He wants a worship relationship based on spirit and truth, not a religion characterized by empty genuflections. For as God himself says through Jeremiah, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Second, this tragic text leads us to triumph as Christians because it is very clear about how a Christian's relationship to God works. In the army, we talk about the bluff, the bottom line up front. I think Jeremiah's bluff is pretty clear that God, the Lord, is looking for obedience. Or as Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we steal time or money from our employer or compete destructively with others, cheat on our spouses, renege on our promises, and generally do whatever we want to do when we want to do it, and then say, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, (laughs) we are self-deceived. We have turned the church into a lounge for criminals. The Lord through Jeremiah gives us as Christians another way. If you want to be close to the heart of God, live righteously and worship sincerely. Keep the Ten Commandments. And when you don't, repent. Do it quickly. We don't have to live as ridiculously as the Israelites did. We can do better. We say we love God, we should, we should keep his commandments. And then that professed love will be true for everyone to see. Third, this tragic text leads us to triumph as Christians because it teaches us how to obey by leading us directly to Christ. If repenting and obeying sounds daunting, you understand it perfectly. It is. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it in our own strength. We not only need God's help, we need his very divine power working in us and through us to accomplish this. And so Jesus' words in John 15 are so very comforting as we consider God's call upon our lives from Jeremiah, where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You remain in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Only by trusting in Christ for the strength to do God's will can we hope to please God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, Israel's tragedy is the Christian's triumph here in Jeremiah 7 because it teaches us to worship 
rightly, obey carefully, and trust Jesus completely for the strength to do God's will. Amen. Let us pray. Father, in a few moments we will sing, we will put to melody how much we need you. Oh, how true it is, Lord. Watching a tragedy or reading a tragedy and learning from it is not the same as putting it into action. It's one thing to try to be a better father or try to be a better child. It's another to please the living God. And so, Lord, we reach out to you. We, we reach up to you with our hearts open, asking that you would fill us with your spirit. That we would see the world, that we, that we, we would see ourselves, that we would see others with your eyes. And we know, God, how much faith that requires. And so we ask for that faith this evening. We pray that, you, that we would be thoroughly grafted into your Son, our Lord Jesus. That daily we would draw strength, all of our strength, for pleasing you from him. Lord Christ, may we reach out to you regularly and freely because that is how you welcome us to come to you, to draw from yourself to draw from the blood that is in Emmanuel's veins. Lord, give us the faith to not live under our own power, but give us the faith to draw from Christ's power in our worship, in our obedience, and in our faith. This we pray in his holy name.